while you're turning over there, I mentioned this to my Sunday school class. If you're interested in reading something that will encourage you about your King James Bible, My Plea for the Old Sword by Ian Paisley is an outstanding book. And uh, it was printed in 1997, so we're not talking about ancient history here. And uh, he's the first man I ever heard articulated in exactly this sense. He said, if God inspired his Bible 2,000 years ago, but didn't preserve his Bible, what good is that to us? And so we believe here in biblical preservation. I mean, God inspired the Bible through the, the original writers, which of course would be the apostles and then God's preserved that word through the years, and uh, we are grateful for Him doing so. And you can trust your Bible. You may not be able to trust some professor at a college or school, but you can trust your Bible. And I take a dim view of people who want to attack and change the Scriptures. So, and by the way, I think God does too. If you read the book of Revelation, uh, He said, I'll take your part out of the book of life. Now, if you're a tad warm, I adjusted there just a few minutes ago. That's what I was doing with my cell phone. I wasn't texting. And uh, adjusted the air so it'll cool off just a little bit in here. And uh, we don't want you fainting or swooning or any of that kind of stuff. If you get too warm, you'll go to sleep. You know that warm, fuzzy feeling you get when your arms get heavy and your eyelids get... You get spiritual, you turn your face towards heaven and close your eyes. It's all right to do that at the house. Let's don't do that here. Acts chapter 1. I want to bring a message to an encouragement to reach the world. Encouragements to reach the world. Uh, Our theme last year was making the most of the open doors, and we certainly want to do that. Uh, We supported 55, uh, actually 58 missionaries and projects. We double supported missionaries twice during the year, meaning they got two months support and one month twice. And we've given away uh, some funds, and uh, we want to be involved. We want to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. We want to reach our Jerusalem, which is uh, Toka and, and Munford, and then we want to branch out from there. But we don't want to forget uh, the rest of the world, and we certainly don't want to forget the United States. Uh, the kind of shape we're in, we need more churches, not fewer churches. And uh, when I say more churches, I'm talking about gospel preaching, Bible preaching, Christocentric preaching churches where people hear truth so they know their way to heaven. Acts chapter number 1, verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, We know that Luke wrote this book because we can go to the Gospel of Luke and see that he addressed Theophilus there. So same writer. Uh, And this is kind of an extension of uh, the Gospel of Luke in some ways. Uh, Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he he showed himself alive by his passion, after his passion, by many infallible proofs. We'll talk about some of those in a moment or two. But I, I love that phraseology, his passion. And Jesus did uh, passionately die for our sins. He, uh, he loved us enough that when, he, when we were nailing him to the cross and we're guilty, he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And that prayer 
is still being answered. Thanks be unto God. So then he said to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, <clears throat> commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They were looking for the Roman government to be overthrown and chased out, and the Messiah to sit on the throne of King David. And that will happen, but not yet. The millennial reign of Christ uh, is going to be at the end, begin at the end of the tribulation period and extend for a thousand years. And Jesus will literally sit on the throne of David for those uh, thousand years. But the earthly kingdom is what the Jews were looking for. Jesus brought them a spiritual kingdom. That's why so many of them rejected him. Verse 7. And he said unto them, is it, not, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And that word both, when it says both in Jerusalem, it means all at the same time. Let me give you another word like that. Look in the book of First, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. Is that right? Yes, Second Peter chapter 1. We're just going to look at something here quickly and get right back to Acts. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And it goes through a list of things. The word add right there is not the word that we use to describe mathematics. We use Arabic numbers and we go, if you've got a series of numbers, you go down the, the right side and then you carry over whatever you have to and then you come down and go across and you're adding numbers one at a time. The word add in Second Peter means to chorus in. Like the choir sang a while ago, they all sang the same. Uh, with the, the special music, they were singing together, chorus in. And so we're to chorus into our faith those things. And so here in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, be witnesses, and the word witness is where we get our English word martyr, by the way. Uh, be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea. So both means all at the same time. We can't say, well, we're going to evangelize a token Munford, and when we get that done, then we'll go up to Covington and down to Millington, and then we get that done, we'll go somewhere. No, we've got to do it all at the same time. The very first thing we did as a church in the first business meeting we had was to vote to take on a missionary. Amen. Amen. We did that before we established me having a salary or anything at all. I wanted our church to be invested in worldwide missions. We started off giving $5,600 a year to missions and this year it looks like it's going to be about 180000 that God's allowed us to give and we sat down one time and tried to calculate up over these 40 years and I finally just quit adding up, but it's, it's probably a couple of million dollars or more that First Baptist has put into missions around the world. And I'm, I'm grateful for every soul that's been saved, every church that's been established and thankful uh, to God for you, for your faithfulness in giving.
Verse number 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. May we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach. I ask, Father, that you'd uh, touch my voice a little bit, help me with this, and Lord, give people ears to hear. And I pray that there'd be a connection between the message and the hearers, that the Spirit of God might use it, Father, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Acts, <clears throat> excuse me, covers a transition from the Gospels to the Epistles. There are things that happen in Acts that no longer happen today. Uh, for instance, nobody lays hands on folks to get the Holy Spirit. When, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, Ephesians 1 and verse 13, you're sealed with the Spirit of promise, you're baptized by one Spirit into one body. So that's, a, that's an event that's different than it is in the book of Acts. Men were able to lay hands on we don't lay hands on people to heal people anymore. We lay hands on people to pray for them and trust God to heal them, not because something we did, but because of what God's doing. And we're grateful uh, when God does heal. God does not always choose to heal the way that we would want Him to. Sometimes we just want to just do it. You know, whether people go to the doctor or get surgery or not, we want God to heal them. And He does sometimes. I've, I've known that to happen. But most of the time, it seems like it's God's will for us to have a good doctor and get a good surgery sometimes and get a good recovery uh, after those things. And so we trust the Lord for how He chooses to do those things. So there's some differences between Acts and what we're doing today. There's some great mountain peaks that are found in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, chapter number 2, the descent of the Holy Spirit is... Is certainly a mountain peak. Most, uh, I shouldn't say most, but many uh, conservative scholars believe the church was established in Acts chapter number 2. I don't. I believe the church was established under the ministry of Christ, but that it was energized and organized as you and I see it today on Acts uh, chapter number 2 when, when the Spirit of God infused or indwelt the church. So that's a mountain peak. Gentile salvation. We're just used to that. If, if we listen, if we had a Jewish person walk in here today, and they introduce themselves, well, I'm I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and I just come to see what you Baptists believe. And if during the service suddenly the light of God shone in his heart, and he understood the gospel and trusted Christ, we'd get so excited we'd probably pick the pews up and tote them around a while, because it's just a rare thing to see a Jewish person converted. We're, it's common to us to see Gentiles. But in the book of Acts, it wasn't that way. The first 8,000 or so that got saved in the Jerusalem church were probably all, or at least a vast majority, Jewish people. And it wasn't until the Jews turned their back on the gospel that the Gentile bride, that's what we belong to, the New Testament church, began to be formed. And so... Uh, a, the Gentile conversions in chapter 15 
And that's where they had a church council about it and they marveled. They marveled that God had granted to us Gentiles the ability to get saved. There's a little precursor to that in Acts chapter number 10, verses 34 through 48, where Peter uh, was preaching to the house of Cornelius, if you'll remember. And Peter was specifically the apostle to the circumcision, the Jews, Paul to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, and yet God used Peter to open the door uh, to Gentile salvation. And so Peter's preaching to them, and the Bible says, while he yet spake these things. And so God moved in mightily, and and that uh, group of Gentiles were converted. So that's a mountaintop experience. But probably one of the most historical important events in the book of Acts is found in chapter number 9 with the conversion of Paul the Apostle. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, probably 14 epistles. Uh, Paul took the gospel to the Gentile world. Paul went places uh, where paganism just ruled and reigned. Uh, The city of Corinth was a vile city. You know, we talk about Las Vegas being sin city. It can't touch the hem of the garment of Corinth. It was a very wicked place. If you wanted to insult a woman, you would say she's a Corinthian woman. You were were talking about her lack of morals when you did that. Uh, The city of Ephesus, where Paul spent three years, year and a half in Corinth, three years in Ephesus. Uh, There was a a secular uh, philosopher said you cannot help but weep when you see the immorality that, that controls this city. And yet Paul went into those places and preached the gospel and established churches and sinners got saved. Amen? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you'll find out that, that uh, what we call homosexuals, sodomites, got saved. Abusers of themselves of mankind and effeminate. And yet they were converted. And so, as somehow or another, it's gotten across to the LGBTQ crowd that we don't think that they're worth anything or that we hate them. And I don't like the way they live and not going to change on that. But they're just as much a candidate for the grace of God as anybody else you'll ever meet. In 1 Corinthians 6, and the Bible says, and such were some of you when he's talking about the, the, the church there at Corinth. So this gospel that we preach is for everybody. It's a whosoever will gospel. And it, it works in all times, in all age brackets, and all cultures if you'll just preach the gospel. Well, there's some textual considerations here in Acts chapter number 1. Uh, the communication or the giving of the Holy Ghost was different than it was before the resurrection. Look with me in Luke chapter 24 for just a moment. Luke chapter 24. Down at verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Now we know from reading the Gospel of John that that's exactly the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God to take the truth of Christ and to make it available unto us. But let's get one maybe a little clearer than that. Look in the Gospel of John, chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. And verse number 22. This is a post-resurrection appearance of Christ. 
John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So the communication of the, the Holy Ghost was different as we get into uh, the book of Acts, as we begin to move forward. And we know that on Acts chapter number 2 is that the descent of the Spirit of God in great power and in great glory, really, and changed and organized the church. So the, the giving of the Holy Spirit, he said there in verse number 8 of Acts chapter 1, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Infallible proofs of His bodily resurrection. Jesus didn't come out of the grave in a gas. He didn't come out in a Casper the Ghost see-through body. He came out in a real glorified physical body. Not like mine and not like yours. I can't just appear in rooms. I can't, you know, I've, I've got to walk. I've got to find the door. I guess I could climb in through, the, uh, through a window maybe if it's close enough to the ground. But we've got to have an access. Jesus didn't have to. The disciples are in the upper room. They've got the doors all locked. The windows are shuttered. And suddenly Jesus is just there. But He still had a real body, not a spirit body. So let's see what the Scripture has to say about that. Remember, well, we'll, we'll get, I've got about five different things to give you quickly. Number one, He appeared to multiple people in different locations. Not all at the same time, but He appeared to Peter one time. He appeared to some of the women one time. He appeared to the eleven disciples another time. He appeared to 500 another time. So all those are uh, evidences that he, was a, that he was actually there and in a real body. Secondly, he ate and drank with them. Look in verse number 4 of Acts chapter number 1. And being assembled together with them. Now, what do Baptists do when they want to assemble together? That's right. We're going to do that next Sunday after church. I have a, a special time that you meet the missionaries and we'll spend some time. If you can cook a, a special meal, uh, some type of uh, farm meal, if you know how to cook Thai food, I hear that's hot stuff. So some of you might like it. I don't know. The doctor or the therapist told me I can't even use black pepper. I'm fudging a little bit. Hard to eat some things without black pepper. But there's Thai food or Ugandan food or Indian food. And I've got to be honest with you, I've tried Indian food and I don't care a thing in the world for it. Give me a greasy cheeseburger any day of the week instead of a, some of that stuff. But they, this word assembled literally means that he ate and drank with them. It's not just like they sit down together to talk. But it meant as they met together, they broke bread together. They, it was very common in the Middle East to do that. And so that word assembled with them, being assembled together, means that he sat down and he ate and he drank with them. A spirit body can't eat and drink. Can't do that. He set and made the appointment that they would meet in Galilee. And we don't have time to read all that this morning, but I read... Uh, to uh, my Sunday school class, the ending of all four of the Gospels. And Jesus said, I'll meet you in Galilee. And He showed up. He was there. Then He allowed His resurrection body to be touched. 
Matthew chapter number 28, if you want to turn over there, don't I'll read it off to you. Matthew 28 and verse number 9. Matthew 27 is a long chapter, isn't it? 28 verse number 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And if you remember, he told Thomas what? Put your fingers in the nail prints in my hand. Thrust your hand into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. So he had a real physical body. And so by many infallible proofs, he testified, he showed that he had been resurrected from the dead. He appeared in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 4, to five, over 500 people. 500. You know, you might get two or three people together and them kind of have some kind of misunderstanding about something. Maybe they went into a trance, maybe. But it's not likely you're going to get 500 people that would do that. Matter of fact, when you read in some of the gospel endings, even though they saw in the Bible says some doubted, they struggled with that. Now, my father's been dead August to be uh, eight years. If my dad were to walk through the doors back there, I'd have a hard time with that. I would. You think about somebody, one of your loved ones or a friend that you've buried, and if suddenly they were up walking around, think about how hard that would be to accept. And in the case of Christ, He had predicted and testified, I will be raised after three days and three nights, and he proved exactly what he said he would do. So we have infallible proofs. These are the kind of proofs that you would take to court if you were being tried for a crime, and you could produce all these historical events, and you'd have evidence. There's more evidence for the resurrection of Christ than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived. Now, we'll keep moving along with our looking at what the text has to say to us before we get to any application. The promise of the Father. Remember, that's what Jesus said. Uh, the, uh, you're supposed to tarry. What for the promise of the Father? And so, uh, as we ponder that in verses 4 and 5, He said you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. John did. And you'll notice in verse number 4, He said that you should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. And that promise was the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus taught us in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, He said, if, if I don't go away, then the Comforter won't come. But if I go, the Comforter will come. It's expedient for you, it's best for you, that I send back to heaven. And then the Holy Ghost would come. Now, without, without trying to undeify Christ, He was in one location at a time. I know he told the, the Jews one time, he said, where I am, you can't come. Not where I'm going to be, but where I am. Not that they couldn't stand where he was standing, but he was saying, I exist in a, differently than you do. You can't come where I am. But Jesus was in one location. Jesus never visited Washington, D.C. Not in person. Jesus didn't make a trip across the, the Atlantic or across the Pacific. He didn't go to Egypt. He didn't go to South Africa. He was in one place. But when the Holy Spirit came, guess where He is? Everywhere. 
You can't lock the doors and keep him out. Putin can't keep him away. Mohammed can't keep him hemmed up. Listen, Jesus sent the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost goes wherever He wants to go. And the Bible says it's like the wind that blows. We, we, we know where it's, that it's blowing, but we can't tell how it got here. And We may not understand everything about the Holy Spirit, but He is not chained and restricted by the things that men might do. So this promise of the Spirit energizing and organizing the New Testament church. Up to this time, they had 120 or so disciples are in the upper room. There were some 500 that saw Jesus ascend, and yet they were not organized into a church body as we recognize a, a local church. But in Acts chapter number 2, thousands get saved and immediately the apostles become pastors. And then you get to Acts chapter number 6, and they had to ordain deacons just like we did here at, at, at First Baptist a few uh, days ago. We ordained three new uh, deacons. And so the church was energized and organized. Our power does not come from us. What did Jesus say about power? All power is given under heaven. Give what unto me? Uh, not me, Freeman Wings, but if, speaking for Christ. He said all power is given unto me. And so when we connect with Him, we have all the power we need. It's not something we do. It's not uh, some special energized music program or some kind of graphics that we might put on some screen somewhere. The power of God is the gospel of Christ. The baptism of the Spirit is a New Testament reality. Old Testament believers had the Spirit of God come on them. We have the Spirit of God inside of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, I've already mentioned, for by one Spirit are you all baptized into one body. That's a personal experience of salvation. I'm placed, taken, the Colossians says, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear Son. Uh, John chapter number 3 says, born again. we got a lot of different ways of describing it, but it means be converted. Changed from a sinner into a saint. It's a permanent indwelling. Ephesians chapter 1. I wish you would look over there, or at least jot it down and look it up when you get home. Ephesians chapter number 1. Very important text of Scripture about our salvation. Ephesians chapter number 1. First of all, Ephesians 1 proves to us that we're not a salvage program. God had planned on us all along, the New Testament church. Then we get to verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted... After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Jesus paid our debt on Calvary's cross. He didn't pay half of it, didn't pay a third of it, didn't pay 80%, He paid it all. In the Gospel of John, he said, it is finished. It's completed. I've, I've finalized everything that needed to be done. Salvation was bought and paid for. We need the resurrection, by the way, as the evidence that God's stamp of approval upon what Christ did. And because He lives, we live also. We have life in Him. But Jesus paid our sin debt on Calvary's cross. And when you trust Him as your personal Lord and Savior then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise 
and you can't be unsealed. That's the earnest of our redemption, but it doesn't mean that God only paid the earnest price. You see, an earnest money, if you want to buy, I don't know if they do this anymore or not, if you go buy a car, and they, your cars, well, you can't buy anything for $25,000 anymore. Isn't that scary? I remember the first time I bought a car, cost more than a house I'd bought, and I just made me shaky all over. But if you want to go buy a car, let's say it's thirty, thirty-five thousand, whatever it is, I think the average car transaction in, in Memphis is in the mid forties, if I'm not mistaken. And you pay earnest money. So this is a car I want. I'll go make arrangements to get my financing. And here's some earnest money, five hundred or a thousand or twenty five hundred, whatever they want. And so that's all you've paid, and they're holding it for you. That's not this earnest that we're talking about here. The price has been paid. You can't add anything to it. God didn't put a stamp on you to wait and see how you turned out. When God saved you, He knew everything about you. He knew your past sins. He knew your present and your future sins. He knew all of that about you. And yet He saved you and He sealed you with the Holy Spirit and nobody else can take possession of you. You belong to God. It's a permanent indwelling, you see. Now the disciples come up with their question in verse number 6. When therefore they were come together, they asked of Him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom? They expected a physical government. The word restore, we're familiar with that. You restore an old car or you restore a piece of furniture. It means to renew it or reinstate it. Uh, means the end of or abolish. But Hippocrates, where we get the Hippocratic Oath about doctors not supposed to do any harm, used it this word to talk about the termination of a disease. So uh, those are some things that we consider as we look at this text today. And we got textual considerations as we looked at it. But I want to give you from this text five reasons to encourage us to reach the world. Now we've looked at the text and haven't uh, gone through every aspect of it, but we've spent some measure of time dealing with it. Might I point out in verses 9, 10, and 11, I mentioned this to my Sunday school class, that these men were mesmerized as Jesus ascended back to heaven. I don't think He went high speed. I think He went up at a moderate rate of speed because they're watching and watching and watching. When he disappeared, they're still watching and looking, wondering if they're going to catch another glimpse. And these angels say, you need to get busy. Why stand you here gazing? And I say to you and to me, we need to get busy. We can't get caught just looking and thinking about prophecy all the time. I'm for prophecy. I believe in prophecy. I know the book of Revelation from chapter 4 forward is all prophetic. I understand that. But we can't get tied up in that and forget what we're supposed to be doing, which is evangelizing this lost, sinful, ungodly, wicked world. So let me give you five reasons. First of all, Jesus is alive. I like that. He is not here. He's risen. Remember we went through all of those not too long ago. Uh, We're encouraged to reach the world because we preach a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I 
hear His voice of cheer, and just the time I need Him, He's always near. He's alive. We're not talking about a dead Savior. Not talking about a philosopher that lived 2,000 years ago. We're talking about a living Savior who's ascended back to heaven, who's more alive right now than we'll ever be. Amen? Till we get our resurrection body like His. And we can have some enthusiasm with our message. Uh, if you go talk about Buddha, he's, he's dead. And by the way, he said for people not to look to him. He wasn't the answer. Mohammed. Well, what terror Islam has wreaked across this world. Might I say also that uh, some organized religion has caused problems in the name of Christ across this world. Roman Catholicism and their crusades. Some, I don't know how many of you studied the crusades at all, but the children's crusade, how awful that was. The popes and the priests said, well, the reason we're not winning these battles is because we're all sinners. Send your children. And your children will go over and conquer the Holy Land. And hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of young people began the trek. Many died on the way. Not that many even made it to the ports. And when they shipped them across the water there to the Holy Land, they were just bought and sold as slaves. What an awful thing that was. Well, we're not preaching religion, we're preaching Jesus. You can go to heaven without being a Baptist. You can go to heaven without getting immersed in water. And I think those are good things to do. I, I am a Baptist and I'm not ashamed of it. I do baptize people and I'm not ashamed of that either. But you don't have to have those to go to heaven, you see. We're preaching Christ, not baptismal waters, not denominational issues. We preach Christ. Amen. Secondly, Jesus promised the Spirit in verses 4 and 5. He said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That's the energy that we need. The energy that we need to get this job done. We mentioned the Browers a while ago. They have just been steady, steady, steady. And they've started numerous churches. And the churches they've started have started starting churches. That's missions. I'm for that 100%. We sent a fellow to, to Poland and he stayed 18 years. Slow work. Very slow. Uh, we got another fellow that I'm aware of who's going to Poland to be a missionary. Trying to work it out. Get a good time to get him here. I'm interested in what he's going to do. That's going to be slow work. Uh, working in Japan is slow work. You're not going to see hundreds and hundreds, at least they haven't. I'm not saying you know you can't put handcuffs on God. He can do what He wants to. But the, what we have seen is it's been slow work. One here, one there. But thank God for that one and that here and that one there. Yeah. We have energy. Energy. Uh, the, the Spirit of God will energize us. You read in the Scriptures how they, they went in the power of the Spirit doing different things. So that's another reason for us to reach the world. Number one, Jesus is alive. Number two, Jesus promised the Spirit to give us the energy that we need. Thirdly, Jesus prioritized truth. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. They said, is it now the time for the kingdom? Now the time of the kingdom? Jesus said, it's not for you to know. That's not, that's not what you need to be aware of. But ye shall receive power, he said, went on and mentioned there. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Jesus prioritized truth. And that's kind of what I was mentioning to you a while ago. 
We don't want to get caught riding a hobby horse about anything. You know, we, we may have a prophecy conference sometime. We've done that several times through the years. We might have a prophecy conference. But we can't preach prophecy every single time we meet. We've got to preach the cross of Christ. Amen. Sinners need to be saved. And tell them about the, uh, the four horses of the, the apocalypse and you know all those kinds of things. May or may not make a dent in them. But if you'll preach Christ to them, that will make a dent. That's how people come to, to the Lord. Listen, truth is exclusive. It's exclusive. I went to one of these convenience stores around here and there's Indian folk running it. and They're very friendly, always very nice. And so I'd give them a track. Next time I'd go, I'd give them a different track. Next time I'd go, I'd give them a different track. And so we began to talk one time and the guy said, oh, I thought you weren't coming back. I need another one of your papers to read. So I said, which ones had you gotten? We sorted through. And he said, I can believe in this Jesus. And I said, well, let me explain something to you. I said, you're going to have to believe in Him only. He said, I don't know about that. And I said, his, his counter, the edge of his counter was there. I said, this is truth. And if this is truth, then everything over here is untruth. Jesus is exclusive. You don't add Him to your list of gods. And he, he wasn't ready for that. But he was very friendly about it. Wasn't, wasn't put off. There's some people, especially Indian folk, they're just really friendly. And you can talk to them. Uh, don't stomp on them, but you can talk to them and, and they'll listen to you. Uh, Brother Sarai Vong, and we're working on getting him here too. You know, he's on furlough. Him and his, is it nine kids now or eight? I think it's eight. And I love Brother Sarai. He's doing a great work in Cambodia. But the local donut store is owned and run by Cambodians. And he was asking me, are there any Cambodians here? And I said, yeah, the donut store. And so he went and, and talked to them. And, and I listened to him a little while. Of course, I didn't understand a word they were saying. When we got back together, he, he expressed to me and began to tell me how he, he approached him. He called the older man uncle. He said that's a term of endearment. It's a, a proper way to approach an older man who's Cambodian. And he said, begin to talk to him. And he said, you can talk to him about Christ, but when you start saying that he's the only one, that's when they lock down on you. But I want to tell you, Jesus is the only one. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You're not going to figure out your own way to get to heaven. You'll either go God's way or you won't. There are the ways that seem unto men the right way or the, what, the ends become the ways of death, the Bible says. Number four, Jesus spoke of us as witnesses in verse number eight. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. He expects us to witness. Preacher, you say, you're, you're trying to get us to witness. You expect us to do that. I want you to do it. Jesus expects it. How in the world can you not tell people How can you not tell people? I was on my way to hell and now I'm not. I used to be held in the chains of sin I, you know, and the things that go along with that. Now I'm not. You should know the truth and truth shall set you free. If the Son shall set you, set you free, you should be what free indeed, the Bible says. How can you not tell? I love to read in the Gospels where when Jesus would save someone, He'd heal them and they'd get converted. And He'd say, now don't tell anybody. 
And he didn't get out of sight for they was telling everybody they knew. They just couldn't keep it in. And somehow know we figured out a way to keep it in. In our day, listen, Christ expects you to speak up for Him. Learn how to do it. You don't have to be overly aggressive, but learn how to do it. Get you some gospel tracts. we got a bunch down the rack, and if that runs out, we'll fill it up again. we got some more in, in boxes. We want to get them out. And pass them out. we got these new evangelism cards. You know, they're, they're not, nice stiff cardboard type of thing. You can put them in your pocket and, and give them out. And it's got the church on there and some information about the church. And it's got the gospel on there so people can get converted if they'll read it. Jesus expects us to tell folks about Him. I was 21 years old when I got saved. I could have gotten saved a lot younger when nobody's fault but mine. Part of it was I was just so blind I couldn't see it. I just thought it was me being a good little boy. But I wasn't a good little boy. I, got, I was born in 1953, so I came through the 60s. I remember what the 60s were like. Monroe Parker used to say he made the 20s roar. What was he doing? He's giving his testimony about what God converted him from. I read to my Sunday school class the conversion of Mel Trotter this morning. Mel Trotter was such a drunk, such a drunk that he stole this brand new shoes off his dead little girl's feet, stuck them in his pocket, and went and sold them for a handful of change so he could buy another drink. That's how low he was. But he got converted. You know what I learned from that? Don't give up on anybody. Jesus expects us to witness. And somebody just pushed him as he was walking by the Pacific Guard Mission. Somebody just pushed him said, go in there, it's warm. And he said, before I knew it, I was in there listening to a fellow preach. And he got saved. Started 67 rescue missions after he got converted. Jesus expects us to tell the world. Expects us to tell our friends and neighbors. And so as we look at that, as we ponder that, we think about, hey, I can do some of that through being involved in, in worldwide missions. Then the last thing I want to give you is this. Jesus is coming back. Amen. One of these days our labors are going to be over. When all our labors and trials are over, they're going to be done. And only what, the only thing that's going to matter is what we've done for Christ. That's all that's going to matter. Verse number 11, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go. I've read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says the Lord's going to return with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ are going to be raised first. Can you imagine that day? You know, we're, listen, it's alright to have a little holy imagination. I'm not talking about holy speculation, just a little holy imagination. We're going to be doing just whatever we're normally doing. And there's going to be a sound of a magnificent trumpet. And I believe every last one of us will hear God call our name. He called Lazarus by His. Lazarus came out. Can you imagine with a voice the archangel and the shout, all that going on, and you hear God call your name, and we're just lifted up. And on the way, in a split second, we're going to get a new body, glorified body. That's going to happen. 
But until then, i got a job to do. I have a post to stand to. I have a, a responsibility. And so do you. Let's reach the world while we can. Reach as much of the world as we can. And let's trust God to do what we can't do. And trust Him for the strength and the energy to do what we can. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking about. I know I preached a message on mission, so to speak, the responsibility. But I've mentioned the gospel very clearly today. If you're an unsaved person, meaning you've not trusted Christ, you're living a life trapped in sin, would you slip your hand up and say, Preacher, pray for me. I need to get saved. I'm just going on my merry way. Hadn't paid any attention to God at all. Would you pray for me? Let's stand our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, Thou who knowest the hearts of all men, how I pray that You speak, Lord, and deal with, with folk as You know they need to be dealt with. May the Spirit of God do His office work and convince of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's sing, brother. 13.